listening to The Long Road to Ruin, a presentation of the Rattle of Jim Broadcasting Network. And I am your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattledge. Uh Quick shout-out to our title card artist, Mr. Ben Cologne, for doing fabulous work uh, on this episode's title card, Jaws. We are concluding our look at Jaws tonight by reviewing uh, Jaws 3D and Jaws of the Revenge, otherwise known as Jaws 4. So thank you once again, Ben, for the artwork. It was great. It's one of my favorites that you've done. It's right up there with The Dark Knight. Um, <clears throat> my co-host for the evening, my co-host as always, except for when he's not, uh, Mr. Sean Comer. How do you do, sir? Hi, everybody. I'm Sean. You're not. Go Royals. <laughs> okay. Um, they're not in the World Series, though, are they? Excuse me? Are the Royal? Are the Royals? I only know about it the Mets. That that much is apparent on my Facebook page. Who are they? Well, are yes, they playing Mark, the well, well, yes, Mark. Because if you were to apparently pay attention to the mainstream sports media, you would think that the Mets were just playing an intra-squad sim- scrimmage, and uh, <laughs> some a, and some and some mildly retarded little league team from the Midwest happened to show I up. I assumed it was the Bay News Bears. And. Ha- yeah, they just happened to show up, and after a close game one, game two came, and they beat the holy monkey piss out of a large market team. So what I hear you saying is, yes, stupid, the Royals are in the World Series. A rump. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I don't understand this. You have the team with the second-best record in Major League Baseball who has gone from – Two decades of sub five hundred ball to make to now in their second World Series in two years, and yet, and yet, every single story that I read about the World Series can't seem to even fucking get what state they're based in right. <laughs> uh, I'm goddamn serious, especially you, you fucking Canucks. You're supposed to have the better education system compared to ours. I'm assuming Look we are talking about. I'm assuming this is Kansas City, as in Kansas City, Missouri. Yes, as in Missouri. They're not in fucking Kansas. You assholes. <laughs> A popular misconception. Goddamn twat waffles. But <laughs> yeah, suffice to say, suffice to say, it is absolutely surreal for the first time in my life, to have a team I have followed for my entire life, since I was old enough to know what sports were, to actually, just this one time, have a very realistic chance of winning it all. That's nothing against the Coyotes, but I'm very realistic about this being a rebuilding year. And I'm loving me some Max Domi this season, for sure, no doubt. But God damn! And on the 30-year anniversary of our last title, and we didn't, and we didn't have to, and we didn't even have to beat Arkham City, Missouri, this year to do it. <laughs> so, I think the only thing that I've gotten out of this World Series is, you know, because I'm from New York. Um, obviously, a lot of my Facebook page is, is filled up with Mets fans who are just beside themselves for one reason or another. But I, <clears throat> but I feel like people would have been happier 
overall if the Cubs had made it to the World Series and then inevitably won, just because of its association with Back to the Future. And boy, am I glad we're done with that now. Holy crap. Oh, God, don't, don't even get me started. Because you know what? It's, it's like I said on Source Material a few weeks ago. I have figured out one of the reasons why I am so averse to social media sometimes. I'll tell you why. On a conscious level, I understand what the phenomenon actually is. And it is fascinating to watch, to see so many people talking about one thing at one time, celebrating one thing all at one time. On that conscious level where I understand that, it's fascinating. And it's crucial to what I do for a living. So I have to pay attention to that. I have to be aware of it. Um, I We did a handful of different posts for Unique Hunters dedicated to that because clicks, that's why. On the other hand, on the more realistic level, the one that I can't seem to shut up after a while, Facebook, when everybody is sharing the exact same meme and talking about the same goddamn thing for two weeks before the geek holiday, it's not so much like a big like being at a cock party and everybody's in the midst of conversation. No, it's more like that one fucking coworker that keeps banging on about the same thing all day and he doesn't <laughs> shut up until you threaten to take hedge clippers to his throat. I but maintain Back to the Future 2 is not a great movie. You know what? It's okay. not it's not bad. It's it's not as it's, it's not, not as good as the first movie, but it's a damn sight better than 3. Well, I disagree. I like but, I think 1 well, and 3 well, are markedly better than 2. Well, but as but but as far as the Cubs fan things go, there's just one problem with that. If well, two problems actually. Number one, they wouldn't know what to do when they finally had to come down off their crosses, and number two, we wouldn't know <laughs> what to do with all the spare wood we suddenly had. <laughs> so, want to talk about sharks? Um, like the house San Jose's. Pretty much tearing up the Western Conference this year. How the Rocks no, start? <laughs> the Jaws franchise. The Jaws franchise. All the reason we're here tonight. Oh, okay. You call me stupid. Well, oh, okay, twat mozzarella. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. So yeah, we're talking after that wonderful opening. We're talking about Jaws 3D <laughs> and Jaws Revenge before. And uh, we'll, we'll start with. Uh, Sean and I were talking before the show started, and uh, I read the wiki pages on both Jaws 3D and Jaws of Revenge, and here's a funny thing, and I didn't realize it until until I'd actually read the Wikipedia pages after I've seen both movies, uh, which was yesterday and today for the first times. <coughs> and that is, Jaws 3D and Jaws of Revenge use the same characters in both movies. They use the Brody brothers, who in the first two movies are, are, are children, or you know, teenagers. Um... Well, one's a teenager, one's a little kid. And they're even younger than that in the first movie. Um, so in Jaws 3D, it, it's Sheriff Brody's kids all grown up. Uh, however, there are two different sets of people between three and four. In, in three, Mike and Sean Brody, uh, Mike is an engineer working for SeaWorld in Orlando, and uh, Sean wears a cowboy hat and is afraid of the water. And in the fourth one, Sean is uh, Mike is a marine biologist working in the Bahamas studying snails, and his younger brother Sean is a deputy on Amity Island. 
Now, according to Universal, the funny thing about these movies is that they don't recognize Jaws 3D as part of the continuity. That apparently exists in its own parallel universe. The series continuity goes one, two, four. Oh, oh, oh wait, wait, wait. <laughs> YouTube taught me all about how this works. Okay. Oh, please go ahead. It. We, 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 we have to go find the little teenage hipster with the Polaroid camera and keep her from saving uh, her blue-haired punk friend from getting shot in the boys' bathroom. That's what it is. It completely lost me. Oh, well, there, there you have it, everybody. Once more, this is getting to be a weekly tradition. Sean finds a way to connect two completely unrelated things. This week's mashup, Jaws and Life is Strange, which, by the way, excellent episodic game. Go play it at the very least. Go watch Press Start to Continue's Let's Play. So, um, in talking about these movies tonight, let's, let's, let's keep that in mind that we're essentially talking that there is no succession of events between Jaws 3 and Jaws 4. They exist on two completely different planes of reality. Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and say this now so I can get it out of the way and we can move on with the show. I may be the only person on Earth that liked Jaws 3D better than Jaws 2. Yes, I, I'll say it. The man who is constantly cursing and yelling and, tell, and, and telling studios they don't know what they're doing and that they should hire me as a consultant actually prefers Jaws 3D to Jaws 2. And for the same reason, I thought Jurassic World was a fantastic movie. It is exactly what it needed to be. And well, I love the, the thing is, but, but the thing is, though, is as we pointed out last week, it's not that Jaws 2 is bad. It's just that it's unremarkable. So I could kind of see where you're coming from, actually, because the thing is, at least Jaws 3D is different. It's stupid, yes. but it's different. <laughs> I enjoy the concept of theme park in trouble. I remember way back when we did the Jurassic Park trilogy on here, and we talked about, at that point, Jurassic 4, I think, was still in production, and we weren't quite sure what we were getting with it. We, I think they had alluded to the fact that the park would be open, but, you know, we started having fun with some ideas of that. And I really, and that's what I wanted. I wanted Jurassic Park 4, um, which ended up becoming Jurassic World, to be an open theme park with, you know, with live dinosaurs who get out of their pens and run amok and start tearing people to pieces. And you get that with Jaws 3D. Um, okay. Then I next want. Then I next want a survival horror movie that is set. And I realize we're going to have to go back in time for this, possibly in Knott's Berry Farm. <laughs> I w if Disney would sign on for it, I would love to see a slasher movie that takes place in the Magic Kingdom, and the uh, the mo the monster, the enemy, the the, the killer is one of the. It's one of the dressed-up Disney characters, They're like Pooh Bear or uh, you know, a Goofy or something like that. I don't think I would do it with Mickey or Minnie. I feel like that would be too much. But now, the lesser did, um, did did you ever see that um, gorilla-style indie movie? Oh God, it's um, Escape from Tomorrowland. Escape from Tomorrowland, I think it was. Yeah, it's got like a yellow background, and it's got the mouse ears, and then blood and a knife. They talk, I think they talked about it on, on um, Half in the Bag, but I don't think I've ever seen it. Well, well yeah, well, I've, I, I have seen it. It's it's one of those movies. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you it's good. Um, it's <laughs> dark as hell. It's actually quite depressing. Um, 
it's probably the closest we're ever going to get to what you just described, though, because they had to shoot and actually managed to shoot the entire thing completely in secret. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it's one of those movies where it's worth seeing once you know what the backstory behind it was, because then you can watch every scene through that prism and just be infinitely more wowed by the just so, so very mediocre story they're telling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wish Disney would sign on for, you know, a full-scale production of a, of a horror movie that takes place in the Magic Kingdom. Um, but, I, you know, but that's even too intimate to, intimate for me. I want a monster tearing apart a theme, a, a theme park. Uh, you know, which, again, we, we got it with Jurassic World for the most part. Um, the only they would seem to be more focused on having a dinosaur triple threat match than they were with dinosaurs killing people, because you only get one scene of that <clears throat> in mass. But uh, back to Jaws 3D. I was, I was going to say, I think the closest we're ever going to get to what you just described is going to be the Five Nights at Freddy's movie, which is going to be animatronic performers um, stalking a security guard throughout a closed, haunted Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> okay. Um, you so laugh. This- so Jaws 3D takes place at SeaWorld in Orlando. They shot it in other places, too, but but the setting is, is SeaWorld in Orlando. Louis Gossett Jr., I believe, is, is the park owner. Um, Dennis Quaid plays Mike Brody, who is the marine, who is the engineer, and um, his brother comes to visit, and that kind of sets up the whole the whole thing. And basically, they, they, the centerpiece of the theme park is they've built this underwater series of tunnels that meets in the middle for, uh, for in, in, into a plaza, um, and the shark starts attacking. The shark gets into the park along with her babies and starts attacking people. And there's great sequences that if they had shot it off, that if they weren't focused, it, it forced them, this hadn't been the 80s, <laughs> they had better special effects. This would have worked better. If someone's going to, you know, I hear tall tales that they're going to they're gonna reboot Jaws. Just reboot Jaws 3D, please. Leave the original alone. Redo Jaws 3D shot for shot and just improve the shark killing scenes better. Because there's some great ones. <laughs> well, well, the yeah, shark just, just like just like splice in the uh, the shark kill scenes from Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> um, but yeah, you have the shark like attacking like the, the central tunnel. You have um, you have a couple of different kills, you know, throughout the park, and you know, and it's it's fun. You, there's a real sense of terror here. Um, I'm not going to say it's the most well acted movie I've ever seen, and you know, I, I'm not. I, normally, I would go through a beat by beat. Um, a beat by beat uh, plot synopsis, but there's, there's, it's, it's a fucking Jaws movie for Christ's sakes. Scene one, someone gets killed. Scene two, people talk about it. Scene three, killed, rinse, repeat. <laughs> so, all you need to know is that Leah Thompson seduces a man into the water who's afraid to be there. <laughs> to which I ask the question, what would it, <laughs> would you risk getting in the uh, getting bitten by a shark if you got a chance to sleep with Leah Thompson, which I think is a fair question. Um, but, yeah, the rest of it is them trying to save people from this shark if the shark just, just destroys this park. And Dennis Quaid, I guess, does his best job with his performance. Louis Gossett Jr., 
I, I do feel like, you know, you know, you're supposed to be the owner of this park. You're, you know, you're a rich person. You know, his whole character is just, he's trying to keep the park running, but he's not, like, all twirly mustache about it. He's not even as bad as the mayor from the last two movies. He's, um, I mean, he makes a couple of stupid uh, decisions, but, but overall, I don't see him as, like, a real villain in this thing. On the other hand, they might as well have hired Slick from the WWF to, to play that role. I mean... Did, did, at some point, did people just like if you're gonna hire a black person, they have to talk jive, even if they're rich and successful? Is that is that how this works? It was the eighties. <laughs> this reminds me of airplane. Excuse me, Stuart. Is I speak jive? I wonder <laughs> black people are so angry. So anyway, <laughs> so. So Louis Gossett Jr. Uh, doing his best Reverend Slick impression uh, to play the park owner, and and that's about it. There's not there's not a whole lot more to talk about as far as the plot goes. Um, any um, what any inside information on Jaws 3D? I will say this: watching it in 2D, you know, 20 some odd years, 20 30 some odd years later, you get you get you know what the 3D scenes are it's painfully obvious and and it, this is totally a gimmick movie that had potential but they rested hard on the it's in 3D and nothing else it was like yeah the story the acting fuck it it's in 3D that's all we care about and it really comes across that way just but go ahead well folks it's that time again it's time to play what Almost was the part of the show where we take a look at casting, directing, producing, writing, things that could have maybe made movies completely different, but on the other hand might not have. And, you know, I, I feel like maybe sometimes we ought to speculate on this a little bit more. Um, because in this case, for example, um, this movie came out pretty hot on the heels of National Lampoon's Animal House. And thus, um, Maddie, Sim- Maddie Simmons was brought in as producer, along with uh, David Brown and Richard Zanuck being brought being brought in to write it. Um, and those two originally pitched the second Jaws sequel as a spoof named Jaws Three People Zero. <laughs> yes, this was almost a comedy, and you can tell because. Simmons at one point commissioned National Lampoon writers John Hughes and Todd Carroll to come up with the script. Joe Dante was very nearly the director. The project was also nearly shut down because of conflicts with Universal Studios because David Brown Brown pointed out later that the, and I'm quoting from the Wikipedia here, that the studio attitude was that a, oh, lost my damn, my damn place, go figure. Um, ah, completely lost my place. Until you get your place um, back, I want to share a bit of news with people, real quick. Women are turned on by the smell of goats, study says. This comes from U.S. News World and Report. Um, well, did you also know <laughs> that there is an extremely rare mushroom that grows on hardened lava flows in Hawaii? And I swear to God, this is going to sound like a mix of a porno plot at the greatest fetch quest in an RPG ever that the smell of it repulses men, but the fumes 
reliably in one study gave almost every voluntary female participant just a thunderous <laughs> orgasm. <laughs> oh, fantastic. You were saying, sir. Um, I was saying that it was nearly shut down in part because the studio was seriously, seriously not down with... Oh, wait. I know how to find my place. There we go. Ah, there we go. Found it. Um, because the studio was really not down with the, with the idea of it being a parody. Um, they also wanted to bring in somebody who had done an experimental kind of kind of sort of documentary film called Sea Dream, but he was so appalled when he read the SeaWorld pot, plot. Yes, he that's actually his reaction. He was appalled by it. That <laughs> he just, all he could do was just flat out tell the studio, I can't have anything to do with this. I, I, just nothing. Uh, there's my place. Um, yeah, David Brown later said the studio attitude was that a spoof would have been a mistake and that it would be like, quote, fouling in your own nest. We should have fouled the nest. It would have been golden, maybe even platinum. Um, otherwise, it's not even like this has much of an interesting story behind it. Um, uh, uh, Murray Lerner. That was the director of the other one. Okay, you know what? I, I stand corrected. And this is one where I totally think we should really speculate on whether this could have made it better. Um, at one point, writer Richard Matheson was told, someone told him to do this, to custom write a role in the script specifically for Mickey Rooney, which I did so successfully that when Mickey Rooney turned out not to be available, the whole part was pointless. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Here's the thing with this movie. The only thing that maybe would have made it better, um, and, and, I'm, and this I'm pulling directly from the Wikipedia page uh, as far as a talking point, <laughs> See, we're talking about how long it takes how long it takes for Dennis Quaid to do anything of importance in the movie. That basically he's the star of this thing, he's your hero, but it takes almost the entire film for him to not be uh a passive observer of the of the action and the conflict. It's only when uh the killer shark attacks the tube <laughs> trying to get at the people in the tube, um, you know, and then they trap the shark elsewhere that him and his team go down and weld and save the people. So there he's a hero, you know, but he, but it's, it, it's like in the most unheroic, almost boring way possible. You know, it isn't like Roy Schneider first film, you know, who gets on the boat with uh, Richard Dreyfus and uh, good old Quint or whatever his name was. And they're trying to kill the damn shark. Or even, God bless her, with Lorraine Gary, who I don't know what plans she had. <laughs> I guess she was going to ram the shark with the boat in the fourth one. But she, you know, God bless her. Much like George St. Pierre, much like uh, uh, in the George St. Pierre fight, at least he tried. Going, what? Speaking of, speaking of Roy Schneider, I, st- 
I, I stand corrected because we may have the silver medal in terms of not just no but fuck no responses, ranking only next to Clive Barker's proclamation, it didn't even come from my bunghole. <laughs> um, and, and, and actually, I, I when you really think about about this being said in Roy Scheider's voice in that very polite, kind way that he had, it's actually kind of funny to picture how eloquent it really is. He said, quote, Mephistopheles couldn't talk me into doing it. They knew better than to even ask. And he was just that amused by even the thought of the movie. Uh, that, that that he just didn't want to have any... Have any it's, and, and you know what? Go figure. The, the wordsmith is the one who is so pissed off he resorts to it didn't even come from my bunghole... And the actor is the one who in, who literally invokes Mephistopheles. Not Satan, <laughs> not the devil, not no way in hell. Flat out says, Mephistopheles couldn't talk me into doing it. And yet it still has a higher rating than the than Jaws the Revenge on Rotten Tomatoes. It has a whole goose egg. Zero, ladies and gentlemen. You know what? I... Which one, which now that we're finally getting around to talking about Jaws the Revenge, I'll go ahead and concede it. I understand why. Uh, because Jaws 3, or Jaws 3D, uh, it, to me, it sounds like an interesting idea executed badly as evinced by the fact that decades later, in fact, another movie, which coincidentally enough, um, another product of Steven's... Didn't didn't Spielberg at least produce Jurassic World? I know he didn't direct it, but... Didn't he, like, exec-produce it? Uh, Uh, Okay, well... well, Okay, the the offshoot of a classic movie directed by Steven Spielberg actually took this idea and really pretty much got it right. And and did it really really well. Um, uh, this was almost kind of like your proto Jurassic World. Although if you look at it another way, when you've got the whole the whole plot line of the baby shark getting loose and then Mama Shark coming after it, it's really almost like you cross the streams between between the Lost World and Jurassic World. Well, they also don't play that up very much. If they were like, you know, if there was a whole thing dedicated to, oh my God, we killed the baby, the mom's gonna be pissed. I would have right. rolled my eyes. But they really don't mention it. You know, they, it's kind of, it's kind of like, it's kind of the same beat as the first movie where they think they got the shark that kills the uh, the mechanic in the beginning of the film, who's fixing mm. the gate, and it turns out they don't because then when they find the body they realize nope we've got a bigger shark on our hands here and all their you know and all the whole subplot surrounding the baby shark is is whether or not they want to kill it for a one time boost in money and, and popularity or you know or keep it as an attraction by nursing it back to health and of course you know you have the two sides arguing that which I thought was interesting I thought it added to the movie maybe some people will you know just they went right past them but. Uh, they end up because Lewis Gossett Jr. Uh, makes a terrible decision in killing the shark, 
and, and they just kind of move on from there. It's kind of like, you bastard, you know, you shouldn't have moved the shark in the first place. At no point does anyone say, oh, no, what will the mother think? For, um, that, for that kind of nonsense, we get towards the revenge, but, but we'll get there in a moment. Please continue. I'm looking something up because I just realized something that leaves me absolutely, utterly dumbfounded. Um, Mark, how is your knowledge of creature feature movies? Um, I'm not the one to ask, but uh, for the sake of this podcast and, and keeping things timely and moving forward, go ahead and ask your question. Okay. Then I'm afraid my joke here is probably going to fall quite flat, sadly enough. Well, hang on. Um, before you before you before you make with the funny, um, Jurassic World, Steven Spielberg was the executive producer. Uh, see, I, I thought so, but I, but I couldn't remember right off the top of my head. Um, he was also the executive producer of Transformers Age of Extinction. Hey, it made money. You got to admit it. <laughs> um, but, okay, so are you familiar with the movie Orca? Uh, familiar enough. I, mean, I know it exists. I've never seen it. Oh, okay, it's it's a bad, it's a really bad movie. Um, basically, it's about a killer whale who witnesses the murder of its mate by a whaling fleet. <laughs> Go on. Oh, good. You see where I'm going with this. <laughs> it was a fucking... It, it, was a, it was a fucking bad movie with actually a, a couple not bad casting. I mean, Robert Carradine and Richard Harris are in it, uh, as, is, as is Bo Derek. Um, but Let's get Joan. This, this thing has a... <laughs> I, I, I this, <laughs> this thing has a 5.5 out of 10 on IMDb. Ten years later, someone liked that movie. Some one person liked that movie so much that when they had to wrap up Jaws, they decided they were going to go with the runner-up in terms of, in terms of fish brain doesn't work that way. <laughs> I'm. It's one of those things where I look at it and I just think of all the movies you could have patterned yourself after. You're the predecessor to one of the greatest killer animal movies ever made. Uh, well, let's let's just call it Spade a Spade, the greatest killer animal movie ever made. And for your final bow, you decide you want to imitate one of the worst. You decide, you saw Orca and went, yeah, that's the ticket. <laughs> except, except this one, this one is even thinner because in this movie, as I'll let you explain in a moment in more detail, um, we don't even get the luxury of having it set right up that our killer axe grind sharks in this movie 
actually saw its kinfolk get blown up by Roy Scheider. <laughs> yeah. We just we just have to kind of kind of assume felt a great disturbance in the force. <laughs> There's a lot of that in Joe's the Revenge. Okay. As, 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 as if as if because fuck knows how a shark suddenly roared out <laughs> and then all at once was silenced. Yeah. The fuck? So, to be clear, they make mention of, in Jaws 3D, there is mention of the fact that, that they've accidentally killed a baby shark and the mother is out there and on the loose. And maybe it's implied that the mother is now pissed that the kid, that the, the, the calf is dead. Excuse me, it's called calf. I've been wrong about that. Baby shark is dead. But the movie doesn't spend too long on it, thank God. And, it, and it's just based, and it's basically the, the main problem here is that there is a killer shark on the loose, regardless of what its intentions are. It's going to hurt people. And they better and they better save the people trapped in the tunnel before they drown, get hypothermia, or get eaten, etc. That's fine. I'm good with all of this, um, and that's why I, I enjoyed the film despite its flaws. Jaws: The Revenge essentially sets up uh, Lorraine Gary as a Jedi who has got PTSD from events she was never actually a part of. Um, her husband Roy Schneider has died from a heart attack due to, quote-unquote, fear of sharks after his two successive uh, uh, interactions with them. And that I, I, I'm just imagining, the, every Halloween, the trick-or-treaters would come to the door and shake and yell, candy grab, and then run away. <laughs> and at the beginning of the movie, the younger son, who is a deputy, is, uh, is asked to remove a log from, from a buoy at which point he is attacked by a shark. And let me go ahead and say, this sets up the premise, hence the revenge, that the shark that came after him witnessed its kinfolk being murdered X amount of years ago by Croy Schneider and is out for revenge solely against the Brody family. So, so yeah, much so... so wait, hang on, hang on. So much so that it followed Lorraine Gary's character from New York to the Bahamas in order to finish the job. This, you can't see that I'm blinking right now. This is the one that should have been a goddamn parody. <laughs> because we we apparently we, we we apparently have found Liam Neeson's shark. <laughs> he has he has him a Don't very special set that. of skills. Let me let me just quick checkpoint bullet point off the, the things wrong with this movie. First of all, the plot is inane. The acting is subpar, and then there's Mario Van Peebles, who redefines terrible acting. Oh, but the God. worst. But the worst part of Jaws is actually also the worst part of Paranormal Activity: The Ghost Dimension in comparison to its original, which we talked about last night um, on our uh, movie review podcast, where we looked at Gem and the Holograms which now currently holds the record for worst opening movie of 2015. Woohoo! Okay, okay, Universal. Mark, I'm I'm going to I'm going to sidetrack for a second and ask you to give it to me straight. Was Paranormal Activity the Ghost Dimension any good? 
Uh, according to Winfrey, no. It sucks on every level. <laughs> um, but apparently it still made more money than Gem and the Holograms. Uh, Universal Studios, thank you, lucky stars, that uh, you, in the same year that you put out this abomination called Gem, you also put out Jurassic World and Fast and the Furious 7. Oui. Well, you'd be having a warm brother. But I digress. Um, Joel of Revenge has the same problems that the Ghost Dimensions does in comparison to both of their originals. Jaws, as does Paranormal Activity, do a great job of setting up uh, tension in a scene, not showing you the horror, the terror that is stalking our heroes. Um, and, you know, and then less so with Paranormal Activity, obviously, but you know, at the very end of Jaws is the big reveal of the shark. You know, that sort of mounts itself on top of the ship and, you know, and eats the one guy and, and everything else. But it takes an entire film in order to get there. You still don't see the entire shark until the very end of the movie, and that's the way it should be. Even in the next two movies, they try to keep a full view of the shark away from the, uh, away from the viewer to reserve some tension to, you know, to truly give you a fright so that, it, you know, so at least you're building to a crescendo and then, wazzah! It comes the monster in full view and feel full terror. The problem with Jaws the Revenge is that, it, it, is that it took all that, threw it in the garbage, and just said, you know what people come to see these movies for? The fucking shark, okay? So, so here's movie executives with their cigars and their suits sitting around the table going, we don't need none of this hitchcocking and building up tension and shit. Boo! That's what bores people out of the theaters. We're here to make money and chew bubblegum, and we're all out of bubblegum, see? So just show the fucking shark. And that's what they do in every scene where there's a kill. I mean, this shark, this shark jumps more times out of the water than... I don't even know what to compare it to. It's like a jack-in-the-box. You know, it's like fucking, you know, the, the shark made with Tigger, you know, and, and now it's got the... Well, well, well now, now, hang on a second. That's that's actually, believe it or not, something that is somewhat rooted in truth. Um, Does make a great movie, though. Well, well no, but, but the thing is, and... This is kind of your little fun fact for the day, and feel free to go research if you want to, because there's actually some outstanding footage out there. Um, there especially was before the Discovery Channel and Netflix decided they didn't want to play nice, and Shark Week got yanked from the streaming lineup. But, uh, and I, I apologize, I, I can't remember exactly what part of the world it is. I just know that it's off the African coast because I know it has to do with their behavior, particularly when hunting seals. Um, great whites in that particular part of the, part of the globe uh, are actually very well known for, uh, yeah, leaping completely, absolutely from tip of the nose to tip of the tip of the door to the tip of their fin right the hell out of the water and actually a number of feet up in the air. Um, it's at the same time amazing and kind of... What'd you say? Hang on. That, that's fine, Sean, 
But you can't on the one hand say we're going for accuracy here by having sharks jumping out of the fucking water all the time oh, and okay. that same shark is on the is on the hunt for revenge against the family who well, killed I, his kids. I know, I'm just I, I just I just trying to point out and, and actually thank you to uh the outstanding impeccable Andrew Graham um for pointing out, quote, the breaching behavior only was regarded about 10 years ago, and it was in South Africa. So, okay, so at that time, as it turns out, interestingly enough, I guess you could kind of call that almost, um, in a weird sort of way, speculative natural fiction. Um, Because at that point, either sharks hadn't developed that habit yet, or just they had never somehow, they had somehow never been observed doing it. Um, Thank you for pointing for pointing that out, um, Andrew. If I knew what part of Canada you lived in, I would know whether to say "Go Senators, Go Canucks," or "Go Canadians." I don't think it's I don't think it's Montreal, so I'm going to avoid the "Go Canadians." But well, call um, it down the middle and just go Mets. What did you say? I said just call it down the middle and say "Go Mets." <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> anyway. Look, I'm not, and I'm not debating the um, the true nature of shark behavior, you know, and that's fine. And, and, and sharks jump out of the water; they jump out of the water, but that doesn't make for a very good movie. Um, it makes for kind of look. I, look, we all know I'm a big pansy and scared easily. And the only person that was even mildly afraid of what was happening on screen was my one-year-old son, and even he didn't really shriek in terror. <laughs> okay, he didn't really want to watch it. Didn't. <laughs> but he kept, but he kept walking away from the computer where I had Mickey Mouse Road Rally on and Thomas the Tank Engine to look and see what was happening with the big fish on screen. <laughs> uh, oh, okay, Cal- okay, it's Calgary, it's Calgary. But ironically enough, Andrew is a Sharks fan because he grew up near. Oh God, you grew up near Toronto. Oh, you poor man. Oh, you. Oh, Andrew, I am so, so sorry you had to grow up watching the Leafs. Oh, you poor bastard. So anyway, um, (laughs) back to to Tigger the Jumping Shark. Um, So there's no tension in any of the scenes, in any of the kills. It's just, you know, there are some horror movies where, you know, like like a child's player or whatever, you know, you you see the monster and, and once you... Once the initial shock of what the monster looks like to you sort of wears off, it's, it's, I kind of compared it uh, in the term in terms of paranormal activity. I kind of uh, referenced the un the the not so scary fr- um, Nightmare on Elm Street movies. By this point, you know what Freddy looks like. He's you know you've, you, the shock has worn off. You're accustomed to his you know to his burnt visage. And all that's left is a guy running around with knife fingers, making you know, cracking wise. So you either, have to, you, either, you either have to find a way to remake that scary, or all it is is just you know a wisecracking psycho running around killing people, and even that loses its effect after a while. And that's my problem with Jaws for the Revenge, is that other than the stupid premise and the lame acting, I'm not in any way like frightened for the people dealing with the shark. No, that sounds about right. Um, so, as I said before, 
the movie o- opens with uh, the younger son getting mauled by the shark, and that causes his mom to, uh, you know, obviously she she's in mourning. She's already lost her husband. Now she's lost the son. Her other son is in the Bahamas, and uh, he takes her down there with him, kind of get away from it all, get away from Amity, and again, the shark stalks them. <laughs> you know? the, shark, the shark follows them down to the, how did the shark know where they were going? That's what I want to know. Um, I didn't pick this up in the movie because it's not it's not portrayed very well. Like, it, I mean, you, I get I, I I saw that there was something happening, but it wasn't until I read the wiki that I really that it really that I really got it. But apparently, Lorraine Gary's character is now like psychically connected to the shark. So when the shark is near, she, her spider sense goes off. Well, I'm not even joking about that. That's in the script. I, I, I know. I just... Psychically linked to the shark. Even if you were to think about the various instances in which people have claimed to have been psychically linked, there's generally some reason for it. Lorraine Garrity never encountered the fucking shark. No, her sons do. You know, it would make more sense for them to have PTSD than for her to have it. In the first movie, none of their family has any encounters with the shark. Well, 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 yeah. A, a, a fucking great white shark has about as much concept of what a 67 Corvette is as who Lorraine Garrity is. It's just, just no reason whatsoever, just psychic connection. It's not like they're, it's not like they're long lost half siblings or something. Um, it's, it's not, Nothing like that. Is the shark like her spirit animal? <laughs> is it? Is Dude, is I, it, I, is I really wanted animal? them to... I wanted, like... She, there's, a, there's a scene where Michael King takes her to, like, some sort of celebration on one of the uh, on one of the islands, and she's dancing with the natives and shit, and she's trying to just let loose of everything that's happened to her and move forward as Kane has instructed her to. And I wanted her I, to, just, like, stop close up on her and her and say something like I smell I smell fear in the air. The shark is near. Like if you're gonna do that like I said about Gem and the Holograms, <laughs> just go all out. Go fucking crazy. You know what? I I I almost I almost feel like I should be Skyping Allison Pregler in on this because this sounds like almost more like an episode of Baywatch Nights. <laughs> what? I thought Baywatch was just, just you know, was was wait 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 wait, wait 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 hang on hang on hang on. Um, Mark, I know a gentleman never asks a woman his age, but you're how old again? <laughs> well, so am I. Do declare, uh, I am thirty-nine. <laughs> you're thirty-nine. I, so, well, I coma. I never. Like, so. So you so you should have a better memory of the golden age of syndicated television than I do. And yet somehow you don't remember 
the morsel of ooey gooey cheese that was Baywatch nights. Okay. I will I will briefly set this up for you. Um and forgive me because there there are actually characters whose names I can't names I can't remember. I'm familiar with it because Allison's a good friend of mine. I love her show Baywatching. Fayless.com. Go there today and watch it and also go support her Patreon account. Funny lady. Um but the premise of it is is that Mitch Buchanan, played by David Hasselhoff, uh, has partnered with, I believe, I want to say I want to say Carol Alt, played one of the played one of the co-founders, and um, I can't remember his name, so I'm just going to call him Black Beach Cop. Um, uh, Garner Garner Ellerby, that's who it was, and Garner Ellerby to start a paranormal detective agency. I am I am not kidding. I am not kidding. This was a spin-off. This was a thing. This got a full season at least. I I forget how many. Again, Allison knows this kind of stuff backwards and forwards because it's it's her stock and trade for good for good reason. I I just remember that it exists. I don't remember how many seasons it got. Um, and, and once more, Andrew, playing along from home, Lorraine and the shark are both immortal and can sense each other's presence. Lorraine's quickening was cut from the end of the movie, as probably was the scene where the, scene where the shark attempted to rape Lorraine, which is why I don't remember it. <laughs> um, but... How do you not remember Baywatch night? You've got a whole six years and change on me. You um, I don't remember that I do. Uh, well, as much boob as I watched as a kid, I just I don't think I ever found the Baywatch appealing. Certainly not Baywatch nights. Well, me, well, neither did I. Fair point. Fair point there. Well, okay, yeah. Granted, I watched. I watched it. I watched the boobs, but. When it comes to Baywatch Nights, though, that was one where I watched for a whole different reason. I watched it because even then, I went Baywatch beats Scooby-Doo. Oh, how do I not watch it? I'm not turning... I'm not changing the channel, the channel from this for anything short of a 12-hour renegade marathon. Okay. Um, or, you know, if it was USA, probably Silk Stockings, followed by Duckman, followed by 36 Hours of Wings, followed by Raw. Can we talk about Mario Van Peebles? We're talking about God, but God knows everything else, so yeah, why not? Let's talk about Mario. As, as, um, as I called him in the lead up to the show, we made the comparison that if uh, Dwayne Johnson, as he has been referred to and is occasionally jokingly referred to himself, is in fact box office Viagra for his ability to revive franchises, uh, Mario Van Peebles is box office Think of Your Naked Grandma. I don't understand how he's gotten so much work when the man can't fucking act. In, in this movie, he plays um, a native Bahamanian, I believe, they were in the Bahamas, right? Uh, la, la, la. Yeah. Yeah, okay. 
So well, 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 yeah, I, I, yeah, because there's a there's a the banana boat scene. Right. So he struggles with the accent for one thing. Um, for another, he's he's just not believable. He has a lot of dialogue in this, and if I, you know, if when the, if I was producing it and the script was handed to me, you know, before shooting, I'd be like, um, cut this fucking guy's lines. He needs to be saying maybe one sentence you know, per ten minutes. Don't ha- you know? <laughs> make him act in front of the camera. Yeah, this was a real like classic case of a guy who really doesn't know how to deliver dialogue and would be better suited just acting with his eyes and, and facial features in front of the camera rather than having to talk so much because the more he talks, the less I believe his character. Okay, and so Ben, have- ben actually, or not, not Ben, I'm sorry, um, Andrew. Andrew actually raises another good point about um, uh, uh, Mario Van Peebles, and that is there was a movie that he was actually good in. Um, of all the movies, uh, he directed a movie that was a, a bit of a spoof on seventies on seventies black exploitation, um, called Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. Um, yeah, I remember that. In which, yeah, in which of all people, he played his dad. So yeah, I mean about the about the uh, only damn role where you can actually objectively say he turned in a pretty damn sound performance was playing his father. <laughs> he occasionally manages to act himself, you know, act, act his way out of a paper bag. You know, I think I remember him being pretty decent in things like New Jack City. You know, um, yeah. I, he was in Ratman, and I'm pretty sure his acting was a, was as good as anything else in that movie. But yeah, he um, he doesn't have a tremendous amount of range. Oh, I, okay. I, 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 I stand corrected. It was just badass because. And if you want to look it up, it's like bat, it's like badass with B double A D A five S's and an exclamation point. Yes, I'm serious. Yeah. Um, sweet sweet back badass song was the original movie that that title title was taken from, and that his dad start that start in. And um, uh, yeah, and Andrew also pointed out Heartbreak Ridge, which I've never seen, so I may have to take mm-hmm. his word on that one. Well, listen, you know, the sun shines on a dog's ass you know, every every once in a while, and that's fine. Uh, you know, the, the command, man's career is in total crap, but he sucks in this movie. Right. And right. it, it t- takes me out of the picture because there's so much of a focus on him. And then, amazingly enough, when the shark kills, uh, nearly kills him at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, for some odd reason, they managed to write, write him back into the movie again where he actually survives being eaten, mauled, and drowned by a shark. This is after York. they blown and stabbed the shark. Not blown up and stabbed the shark. They'd blown the shark. It would have been more believable. But, um... Okay, okay. Look, fellow babies. Um... There are a lot of remarkable stories of people surviving shark attacks. In fact, they're all pretty damn remarkable. Um, considering that it's basically a big prehistoric garbage disposal that has never evolved because it has never needed to evolve. In this case, however, let me tell you something, Mean Gene. Any shark 
that is smart enough, that has the sheer intellect and covert reconnaissance ops skills of our shark in this movie to follow Lorraine Garrity from New England all the way to the damn Bahamas is smart enough to know that when it has a chance to eat Mario Van Peebles, Mario Van Peebles can't be allowed to live. <laughs> so now, here's the part of the podcast where, where uh, we address requests. And so I, um, whenever I'm, when we do one of these shows, I always promote it on Facebook, you know, hashtag LRTRPrep, and uh, I put the movie in there, and you usually comment about it or whatever. In this particular case, I can't leave Mario Van Peebles alone. He's just terrible. But Benjamin J. Cologne, who was our title card artist, asked us to address a couple of things. So here's his list. Ready? Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? I I have my orange rock star boom in my hand, and I'm I'm ready and waiting. All right. The first thing we have to address, Michael Caine's futuristic instantly self-driving shirt. Son of a bitch. I don't know which one of you two I nearly would have had to bill for a tablet just now. <laughs> let's, let's, let's talk that up to shit editing. You know, what I find yeah. funny about this is Pat Oswald does a bit, uh, the comedian who looks like a hobbit, um, he's on. He plays. He, he's uh, occasionally got a part in Agents of Shield, and he was Constable something or other in Justice. And he and and he was really fucking good in United States of Terra, and also one of the better parts of Blade Trinity. Correct. Um, he does a bit. Also, don't also don't ever ever in your wildest dreams heckle him. No. Bad idea. If you do, if you do that, if you, if in your dreams you dream, of, you dream of blurting out "woo" in the middle of a Patton Oswalt bit, you wake up, find him, and apologize. Yeah, you you will be forever burned onto a CD as a douchebag. Just <laughs> um, that line that he says after that, he was like, "You you're going to miss everything and die angry." <laughs> This is another reason to watch the show. You get recommendations for a half dozen other cool things you should go check out when you're done listening to the podcast. So, so far, take notes. Um, Heartbreak Ridge, one of the only Clint Eastwood movies that, as Andrew rightly points out, will not make you, make, leave you totally depressed. Uh, go, see, go watch Badass. It is one of Mario Van Peebles' only shining creative moments. Go play Life is Strange from Square Enix. Five episodic parts, excellent game. You just have to get past the who talks that way writing. And now, Pat Oswalt. Just Pat Oswalt in any and all of the things. All of his albums are on Spotify. Go listen to them when you're done here. In any case, he does That's a bit for the fourth time. Um where he's talking about how he's sold a handful of screenplays and the thing he doesn't like about telling screenplays and one of the reasons why uh, why I, I haven't pursued it any further to hearing this is you sell a screenplay, you just don't walk away and the studio does fuck all with it. You're now <laughs> attached to this thing for a year full of studio notes. 
So producers and studio executives will come back to you and say, we have some notes on your screenplay. And the example that he gave, which is you know, a, a bit of an exaggeration, but it really does make, drive home the point. He was like, on page three, you have, a char- you have a character eating a sandwich, and on page 49, same character is wearing a hat. Does that make sense? <laughs> now, the joke here is that, is that they're looking for continuity errors. And they and and that's not one of them, obviously, but they think it is, and you know this is people trying to justify their their large salaries. But let's let's put that aside. In it, there is a process of notes for the purposes of making sure there isn't inconsistencies in production, so that you know you don't have a situation where in the same scene someone's wearing a hat and then suddenly isn't. It's the kind of thing everything wrong with from Cinema Sins really makes its bones on. Because, you know, on the one hand, they, they point out plot inconsistencies that don't make any sense to them. On the other hand, they, they have a very good eye for pointing out things like, in one shot, something in the background is A, but the same thing in the background is B. And, and that's something that you're supposed to pick up as a director uh-huh. uh, and an associate in dailies. You know, you shoot... X amount of footage, you go back, you rewatch it, and you make sure, and, you know, and then you have to reshoot some things because you've now changed it and there's inconsistencies there, and you don't want your film to look like shit. That being well, said, and, and, how, well, and, and, and how does the game look? I mean, since you mentioned Cinema Sins, the one fair thing to point out is, and Gaming Sin says the same, says the same thing no movie slash game is without sin. Basically, nothing's perfect. And as they make very clear, it's not that they hate every movie or game that they do. They're just taking the piss out of it. That's one thing. Right. That's one thing. You know, a Stormtrooper wanging his, wanging his head on um, uh, a crossbeam as he's walking down a hallway in Star Wars. Eh, okay. You can maybe um, spot a boom mic here and there in some other movie. Eh, oh, well. Robert Rodriguez movies? Loaded with them. Kevin Smith movies? Kevin does whole commentary tracks where he takes the piss out of his own, out of his own mm-hmm. films. Don't, e- don't even bother so, with that, with that, with that so one. So that being but said... That, and, then there's just fucking, and then there's just being fucking lazy. <laughs> so, if you, ha- so the thing, you, have, you have entire teams of people dedicated to this sort of thing. How they miss the fact that in one scene, Michael Caine ha- you know, got drenched from the fucking ocean... And has had no time to dry his shirt yet. Yet set up another shot, put him in it, and put him in a dry shirt. <laughs> you know, apparently this was a rush job. This whole production for this mm-hmm. movie was a rush job. It comes across that way, and that is my only explanation for the amazing futuristic self-drying shirt. Is no, you know, is that when they were putting this thing together, no one knew that twenty, thirty years later there'd be two assholes on a podcast pointing it out. Then again, um, years later, producer uh, Joseph, Joseph Sargent, when speaking with the Boston Herald, would call this movie, quote, a ticking bomb waiting to go off. <laughs> um, actually, this, and, and, and again, reading, direct, reading directly from the Wikipedia here, um, Scheinberg, uh, actually, or, I'm sorry, um, uh, MCA President Sid Scheinberg uh, called up Sargent in late September of 86 to ask him to direct the movie 
and it didn't have a script yet at that point. <laughs> and it start, and, and Sergeant, again, when speaking to the Boston Herald, said, I didn't have time to laugh because Sid explained he wanted to do a quality picture about human beings. When he told me, it's your baby, you produce and direct, I accept it. Um, and Scheinberg then proceeded to cut through all the slow lanes and got Jaws the Revenge off and running. It's, okay. um, yeah, except except when you get it off and running, it's a little bit like in The Flash when Barry Allen gets off and running, but he doesn't know how to stop yet. Or, or, or often running in the sense that when, when the world's smartest cocker spaniel, Toby, goes running across an uncarpeted floor, it's only a matter <laughs> of a few strides before he re- before he remembers, I have no way of stopping. Or when my son throws a temper tantrum and goes running off into some odd direction and runs straight into a door or a wall. Uh, you see, you joke, but that act, but an accident like that actually results in one of the few bodily scars that I have. <laughs> Why were you a big tantrum thrower when you were a kid? Well, no. What what happened? Um, this is little adventures with little Sean moment here. Um, according to my mom, because I I was too young apparently to remember this. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is I would go running past my dad um, when he was sitting in his favorite chair, and he would scoop me up and spin me around. One time, I went to go do it, and Dad wasn't watching. <laughs> beep, beep. <laughs> I proceeded to I proceeded to nail my forehead on the corner of a wall and cut it open, and I have a little about one-inch scar on my forehead to this day because of that. My son does what I can only be what I can only describe as a cowardly lion tantrum. You may remember from the original Wizard of Oz movie when the cowardly lion freaks out after being yelled at by the wizard, mm-hmm. runs from the great hall down the hallway and dies out a fucking window. <laughs> this is my favorite scene in the Wizard of Oz. It's awesome. <laughs> Hey, the only thing that would have made that better would have been the goofy ties out the window. My son, God bless him, he's about to be 19 months old. When he's really tired and you know almost overtired, and he doesn't know what he wants, and he throws a tantrum. Look, I have no doubt that my my son will be a boy's boy and a man's man. But right now, and apparently from what my mother-in-law tells me, this is very typical of young boys, he throws the most sissy, merry, fairy, pansy tantrums I've ever seen on a human being. And I've worked with crackheads and crack babies. And he just, he'll wave his arms, wail, and run in some weird fucking, like, it's not even like he runs in a straight line. Or he's running, like, hither and thither. He, it's, it's like a rocket taking off and then suddenly losing energy and falling back to earth. He runs, finds the nearest door or wall, and runs face first into it. Fall down, <laughs> get something else, I'm okay. <laughs> it's like, and he, and then he looks to my wife and I with even the smallest bit of sympathy, and my wife and I are just like Stone Cold Steve Austin, like, fuck you, you stupid piece of trash. You want to run into a wall. You deserve whatever happens to you. 
Oh. Okay, so, yeah. <laughs> All right. <coughs> Next thing on the list. So here's what Ben wrote. The two endings, the one where the shark is somehow suspended high enough above the water to be impaled by the bow of the ship, and the other one where it is inexplicably in- explodes like it was packed full of Semtex. <laughs> Let me go this is the most confusing fucking ending I've ever seen of, 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 a, of a fairly simple movie. But let me read this directly from the plot synopsis on the Wikipedia page. Um, Jake and Mike, Mario Van Peebles and um, Lance Guest, uh, put together an explosive powered by electrical impulses. They begin blasting the shark with the impulses, which begin to drive it mad, mad, I tell you. It repeatedly jumps out of the water, roaring in pain. As Jake moves to the front of the boat, the shark lunges, giving it a chance to pull Jake under and maul him. He manages to get the explosive into the shark's mouth before he is taken underwater. Mike continues to blast the shark with the impulses, causing it to leap out of the water again. Igniting the bomb as Ellen steers the sailboat towards the shark, while while thinking back to Sean's demise, the shark's attack on Thea, and when her husband killed the first shark. The broken bow spirit impales the shark, comma, causing it to explode. So what I'm getting from this is... How the hell does she remember her husband (laughs) killing the first shark? I don't want to talk about that right now. That's that's besides the point. Let's stick with what really matters here, is that there was an explosion. There was a, a, a bomb. Um... So that was somehow ignited inside the shark, but it's the bow impaling the shark that caused him to explode. That's how this is written. And that's how it's shot, by the way. I didn't get the sense that anything got inside the shark to make it explode. I thought it was just impaled. But the way that it's shot and the way that it comes across on screen is that this is that like, like, like Eric from the Little Mermaid steers the boat into the shark who was Ursula for this purpose. And then you would think, okay, you've just got, you know, barbecue shark here. No, it blows up like fucking Yavin 4. Andrew says the plan for D-Day was simpler. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean... The- I don't understand what they're getting at here. The bomb was ignited, but it needed, you know, it needed kind of like, you know, compression. Like, you know, like when you blow up a building, you have to like press that lever. Is that what the bow spirit was doing? (laughs) It was like, it was like they wanted to create an exploding shark ending, but they had already committed to Lorraine crazily wanting to drive the ship into the shark to, 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 you know, to dispense with all of this angst that she had against this killer animal that was after her family. And they couldn't decide, so they said, fuck it, we'll do both. You know, I still insist that at this point we need to address the distinct possibility that somewhere there is a fan rewritten draft of this script in which it is revealed that 
Lorraine, uh, that Lorraine Garrity's character is actually, in fact, the love child of the Beastmaster and Jean Grey. <laughs> because I have oh. no other explanation. Also, God, I, I'm almost running out of alsos here because there's just there's so <laughs> much wrong. It, it, it's like a buffet of fuck you know. Um, Look, from from a craft point of view, it's such a shoddily. Sh- I mean, people people have remarked, people far better than I have remarked how badly that ending is shot. If you wanted to create a situation where you both impale the shark and blow it up, you have to have a beat there. It can't be both. It, I mean, you might as well have then literally have had the guys from the Death Star in the thing and just blow the fucking shark up. Hey, you know, hey for, Mark. For all, for all you've done there, yes. Brace, brace yourself. Benjamin is coming. <laughs> okay. He's, always, he's, always he's happy to have him on. Yeah, he's calling in because he wants to offer his uh, his two cents on the ending, and I also see that you commented on one of my Facebook links, too. So... <laughs> yes, yes, I did. Um, all right, well, whenever Ben is ready to call in, I'll keep my screen up. There we go. All right. Once again, sir, I want to thank you for your title card art. It's one of the best you've done. And uh, my birthday now, is June yeah. chicken. Christmas is around the corner if you want to send me a framed print of it. I will take it under advisement. How you doing? <laughs> How you doing, Ben? I'm good. Uh, okay, so so you want to weigh in on the uh, the destruction of uh, the the stalking shark that is Jaws: The Revenge. So, what what what's your take on it? Well, I wanted to I wanted to clarify what I had said, like when I gave the the list earlier. By the way, I didn't think um, Michael Caine's uh, futuristic self drying shirt would get quite quite a, as heavy a laugh from Sean as it did, but I'm glad. Uh, that was something I noticed much, much later on. Um, <clears throat> no, what I what I actually mean, um, that ending, and that was the ending that I saw years ago. Like, uh, unfortunately, I think I watched all the Jaws movies backwards. So, Jaws: The Revenge is unfortunately the first Jaws movie I ever saw. Oh God! Oh, you pulled that. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> um, my, my God, that's like that's like starting your Star Wars experience with the Phantom Menace. It was it was 1987. VHS tapes were very expensive at the time, and that was all I had uh, in terms of killer shark movies. And I was, you know, uh, I was a kid. You know, it was a shark killing people. What the hell did I know? Um, well, now I know for Christmas. I'm gonna send you a VHS of Orca to kill a whale. I still need to see all of that movie, but uh, <laughs> what I was saying is, um, yeah, in it, as far as the numerous, uh, you know, things that contributed to Jaws of Revenge being a mess, when I said, you know, there are two endings, I mean, there's literally two endings of that movie, uh, and you can see both of them on YouTube. That, uh, that, that Jaws, you know, explosion, uh, you know, like he, you know, like he, like I said, like he was packed full of Semtex, that was, that was a recut ending that they, like, sort of, like, pulled out of their ass at the last minute uh, because the original, I think the original ending tested badly or something like Correct. that. Yeah. And um, the original ending, is it, it's on YouTube, and 
trust me, it's not much better, but it just shows a really, really crappy uh, shark animatronic somehow uh, somehow managing to get itself, you know, two or three feet above the surface of the water completely, uh, so that it can be complete, so that it can be impaled by the bow of the ship. Um, the shark uh, gets, you know, gets stuck by the bow of the ship. The bow of the ship breaks off. Um, the shark roars, which I'm sure you would, you will get to soon enough. Um, I also put in that. Uh, you know, you can also see all kinds of animatronic machinery in its throat, uh, which maybe that's why he was roaring. Maybe it was like, you know, maybe it was like primitive auto-tune. Maybe he had a voice box. Maybe he had throat cancer. I don't know. Uh, But, yeah, that was the the first... uh, That was the original ending of that movie. Um, That was... Apparently that was not the uh, unless you saw that movie in the theater when it first came out and man did you have you know high hopes and lots of optimism for that for that franchise after you know Jaws 3D to have seen the fourth Jaws movie in the theater but unless you saw that in the I think in the theater within the first like week uh then everybody else and, and all the home video got the even less sensical um, <laughs> exploding shark, which I guarantee you, uh, if you go back and watch that movie, uh, watch that movie, all of the stuff that you were talking about, where like Mario Van Peebles manages to get some kind of explosive device in his mouth as he's being eaten, and that that's a, that's a load of crap. That's that's a load of crap. That was some very I mean, creative. That's some. That was some very creative Wikipedia doctoring, I think, for <laughs> trying to explain. That was like you know. That was like back in the days when you tried to explain a crappy mistake in a Marvel comic to get a no prize from Stan Lee. That's what that is. Look, that whole last act of the movie, after the shark uh, nearly kills the daughter and ends up killing the mo- um, somebody else on the banana boat. Uh, that whole final sequence where Lorraine steals the, the dinghy and sails it out to sea to search for the shark to, to somehow kill it with no weapons, by the way. She has no weapons. She has, I don't know what her plan was, but she, ha- but she took a ship and went, and, went to, and went to hunting for this damn thing. And it's like, I, I get what you're saying, how, like, that whole ending sequence where she kills the shark with the bow of the ship, um... It didn't test well. They really needed to rewrite that entire third act. And I guess, you know, with the budget constraints that they had and the time constraints, they really couldn't. So they threw, you know, the um, the, the Death Star explosion of the shark in there and make people happy and saving Mario Van Peeble because you, you can't kill him. Um, but they just tacked it on to an ending that, that, that was already stupid. She, the, the Rain character had no business being there, there wasn't anything for her to do. And I would, I would have liked to have seen an alternate cut of this movie where they don't find her and it's just her and the shark. Because what was she going to do when this thing showed up? Um, that's a good question. I'm thinking it would have involved more psychic powers, but that's just the guess. <laughs> well, considering I, I, the shark can float, I would I imagine they would have had a lightsaber battle. I, I, I think she, I think she would have invoked the powers of the phoenix. 
I'm just saying. Why not? <laughs> I uh, I like my original idea. The shark would have leapt onto the ship, uh, you know, showed its lightsaber, and she would have said, <laughs> "Okay, Lord Jaws, we meet again for the first time for the last time." You know what? Basically, what we have here is we have the equivalent of the same problem that I complain about in the Alien movies. Hooray! We caught the murder beast! Now what? Yeah, I don't think the writers of this one thought that whole ending through. Um, Yeah. So, my only explanation, uh, Ben, is that there comes a point with film where... You, you, where you're just gonna, you, you have to serve it up as you've got it there, and hope for the best. Hope people, you know, hope you don't have assholes on the podcast years later tearing it to pieces. <laughs> so, well, so much that for that. Plan, <laughs> that plan right out the window. Um, one, one last thing I'll goes, say. One, one last thing I'll say because um, I wanted to bring up Michael Caine. I, I. Missed a couple of minutes earlier, so I'm not sure how much you got into Michael Caine in that particular point in his career. But all uh, I said about Michael Caine, as so, as much as he tried, even he could not class up this movie. Yeah, but he, God bless him. He, he tried. Um, I will say there's a couple of things because Michael Caine, um, you know, he, he actually had a very positive attitude about this movie considering that he was busy filming this movie when uh, in the Bahamas at the same time that um, he had won the Oscar that year for Hannah and Her Sisters. Um, he was not able to attend uh, the Oscars uh, to receive his award because he was filming Jaws the Friggin' Revenge. And personally, I would have been pissed off about that. Uh, he, had a pretty good, he had a pretty good outlook about it. Um, he basically he basically said when when people ask him about it cuz they ask him if he's seen the movie and he says uh you know honestly I've never seen the movie but I saw the house that it that it would made me you know able to buy and that's a spectacular house <laughs> so and classy to the end <laughs> Ben real quick plug your website SoulXO.com, uh, also Facebook.com slash SoulXO, also uh, on Twitter at SoulXOComic. All right, thanks for calling in, Ben. Yep. Take care. Bye, Ben. Good luck with uh, the mess tomorrow night. Okay, um, we've only got about five minutes here, and then we're going to go over. Uh, Sean, I, I have, I'm, I'm all out of fucks to give <laughs> with this movie. It's shot, it, it's one of the, it deserves its zero rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, it's not quite the room, but <laughs> but it, it might as well be. It's just acted poorly, shot poorly, edited poorly. Um, the storyline is is so dumb it needs to be studied. And then you have this you know crazy non frightening mechanical shark that you know pops up like a jack in the box, which is biologically correct. Your final words, and let's get out of here. So, exploding sharks, sharks and tornadoes, super intelligent sharks. <laughs> hey, um, movie executives, if I were to drop a shark carcass on your front door, would you look at it and say, oh, look, a puppy? <laughs> 
I don't think you know how sharks work. They're not <laughs> forces of nature made of C4. They're, <laughs> they're, not, they're not swimming velociraptors with CIA covert ops training. Please let the next Jurassic World cross a Tyrannosaurus yeah. Rex with a shark. Please. I know, right? Nothing Please. in nature works this way. Okay? Please let them cross a tyrannos- another Tyrannosaurus Rex with a shark. Have the shark swim away from the, have the shark Rex swim away from the park and attack California. Please let this happen. <laughs> Universal. Mark, at Mark Rattledge on Twitter, I will write this for you. Well, I'll, I'll write some concepts. I'm not writing a full script. But please take this idea and run with it. Tyrannosaurus Rex, cross with a shark. It swims away, eating people in its wake, and, uh, and washes up on um, Los Angeles and wrecks the city a la Godzilla. Um, we, uh, we mentioned the movie Orca earlier. Worth mentioning because when it came out and it did get absolutely lambasted um, to to the point where today about the nicest thing anybody will say about it is a combination of, hey, look, Richard Harris and uh, the fact that the soundtrack by Ennio Morricone is is actually quite lovely. It's it's worth a listen, I guess. Um, Shane, you've got to endure the movie at the same time. But for the most part, it's rightfully dismissed as a jaw a Jaws ripoff. So much so that if you're paying attention when when they discover an orca corpse on a small sandbar off the Amity Coast in Jaws Two, uh the investigating marine biologist quips to Chief Brody that there are far greater predators in the deep. Buzzing. Um, although, actually, interesting little post. Another interesting little postscript to that is that Richard Harris actually enjoyed the hell out of making Orca, and apparently. God rest his soul. Got a little bit salty when anybody compared it to Jaws. Oh, oh, so, so, sorry, Dumbledore the first, but you don't have a leg to stand on with that one. So picture this, right? You have a Royal Caribbean or a Carnival Cruise. Let's go with Carnival. Those people need to fucking die. You have a Carnival Cruise out there, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> people are partying. People are, you know, it's just, it's just bedlam on a boat. People are, are, like, having public sex, you know. There's, like, no kids anywhere. It's just all fucking young 20-year-olds just partying and drinking. People have snuck oh, rum yeah, on I the sub- boat. I, I suddenly want to book a carnival cruise now. You sold me, Mark. Congratulations. And they see a fin. But they can't believe the size of the fin. It's huge. They're like, oh, my God. There's no shark in the history of man that's that big. And it turns out it's the shark wrecks. <laughs> that's escaped from Jurassic World. <laughs> and it just tears the fuck out of this Carnival Cruise Liner. Oh, it's just eating naked bitches left and right. It's killing douchebags. Oh, it's great. It just wrecks can, this entire cruise liner. Can, can, can we briefly address 
the logistics of whether the shark fucked the T-Rex or whether the T-Rex got the humpity-bumpity on with the shark. I'm going to go with it was done in a lab via test tube. You're no fun. <laughs> Sorry. I'm more, I'm more concerned with this thing than killing the entire Carnival Cruise line. What? But but everything you just described totally makes me want to book a Carnival Cruise, though. <laughs> I don't know if it's if it's that bad. It's definitely it's definitely not from my set. We're more of a Disney Cruise Line family these days, and when the kids are old enough, we'll go back to Royal Caribbean. You know, we're snooty like that. And if we if I ever get rich off my idea of shark wrecks, then we'll go well, we'll go with Norwegian. But uh, for all you so, lowbrow so, party out there, carnivals for you. Well, 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 yeah. So, so the plan being for right now is go on a cruise. Kids, go get your picture taken with Elsa. And after shark wrecks money comes in, it's back to high seas public sex. <laughs> sure. But I, I, this, that, that's your sizzle reel right there. Jurassic World 2, just this fucking thing jumping out of the water, destroying an entire uh, cruise liner. And then it show, and then it washes up in L.A. and it just runs, rough them, stop them. You know, Tyrannosaurus body, shark head, and it's just an eating machine. It's, it'll be great. Okay. However, we somehow need to find a – I don't think you would have any trouble getting Chris Pratt back for this. But, oh, hang on. In the, park, but, in the park that it destroys, Universal Studios in, in Los Angeles. Right. But the thing is, if we're going to get Chris Pratt for this, we also have to have him team up with Chris Evans. Because then, not only will they stop the shark, but they will go and feed delicious grilled shark steaks to kids, <laughs> to dying kids in the hospital. <laughs> Well, I have this I have this image in my mind of there there being an even greater threat and Chris Pratt somehow uses his dinosaur mind melding power to control the mind of the shark rex and he rides the shark rex into battle. Stop drilling, you have struck oil. <laughs> why not? He he can communicate with Velociraptors. I don't see why he can't communicate with a shark rex. Okay, I have watched some movies with some phenomenal premises. Um, I one of my favorite movies of all time is Teeth, and I would I would watch the shit out of this movie until it called me Daddy. <laughs> Universal uh, Universal Studios, I await your phone call. No, no, forget it. If you want to get a movie made, Sci-Fi Channel will greenlight any fucking thing. <laughs> okay. I'll, do, I'll have to work on a script. should take me about 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. The, the script will take you 20 minutes, and there's any number of, of once-famous actors we've talked about on this very show that will probably jump at the chance to be in this movie. Just because well, Tara, they Reed. Tara Reed was in the Sharknado movie, I don't see why she wouldn't be in this. You know, actually, um, our good friend Jeremy Hulsoff, uh was talking the other day about the illustrious record held by Richard Belzer uh, for having the character who has appeared 
in the most different TV shows. Not not just Richard Belzer having appeared, but having appeared as Detective John Munch in the most show in the most shows. There you have it. What one of our, one of our one of our ragtag band of survivors has to be Detective John Munch. Done. And I think that uh-huh. is all that needs to be said about the Jaws franchise. <laughs> 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 Yet another series of diminishing returns. Um, I have to say, in 2015, um, there you know you, you can't say that every franchise has uh, you, you know the sequels just get worse and worse. I mean, you know, as we've documented on this show, some of the more recent franchises, the sequels. Uh, sort of traded between good and bad. Some of them even got better as time went on. Uh, but it does, it does seem to me that in the 70s and 80s, the stuff that kind of came out um, of the post-Jaws era early on, it seems like there was not a lot of thought or effort put into sequels. Um, that they, they, were, they were just cash grabs, and that was it. And it seems like now, because they know that there's so much money in them, that seems like Hollywood does try to take them seriously. They don't always, they don't always work, but they at least they try. Well, you know, it, it was something I had to explain to people way, way back when we started the show, and I told them what the title was. I would tell them what franchise. And no, you can't do that. Why is this sequel was so good? It all get worse. I said. Look, I know that's the name of the show, but yes, occasionally we talk about a franchise that somehow gets better. I mean, one of my favorite ones that we've that we've done is The Fast and the Furious. And it's because, not because they're necessarily my favorite my favorite movies, but just because I find it so fa- so fascinating that for all people talk about how, oh, the, the Rock saved, that's another franchise that The Rock saved. Now, you can thank him for that. Uh, no, Chunk Stane, actually, if you, know, if you know what you're talking about, uh, you can actually thank Vin Diesel for that. Because, famously, what happened was he parted ways with the franchise after the first movie, basically because he felt like he had done as much with Dom Toretto as he could, and he was ready to just be done, just kind of wash his hands of it. And then he came up with an idea, and he pitched that idea to Universal, and that turned into the cameo at the end of Tokyo Drift. And that turned in, from there forward, into reinventing the franchise and saying, okay, we've gone as far as we can go with the street racing elements. Uh, just uh, enough of that. Uh, we we've beaten that. We've beaten that to death. We've said all we need to say. Let's just make an old school, all or nothing, over the top, nut sack, the size of a Death Star heist movie. Blowed the thing and just go all out. That led to Fast and Furious, and then that led to everything that has happened afterward, wherein each movie has somehow done phenomenally better and better to the point where if we were to go back and look at the lowest grossing movies in the franchise, I, I would almost bet, without even looking it up right now, 10 will get you 20 
that the lowest grossing movies in the franchise are probably the first three. Right. I would be willing to just about guarantee it. Currently, Fast and, and the Furious is the second highest grossing movie of this year, just under Jurassic World. It's going to be number three after Star Wars, but you know, it, right now it's holding at number two. Well, yeah, I mean, because what it comes down to is it's not just that sequels in general are bad. It's that you have to have an idea for where you're going and not just that you're going to saturate it with what you're convinced was the best part of the first one. Um, No matter what you're doing... not Not to do a cover song of the movie that you did. You know, exactly. that movie to be about people and characters. And yes, you need to include elements that made the first film successful, but there's no reason why you can't go in a different direction. You talked about this with Paranormal Activity, and, I'll, and you know, I'll say it again. Um, if you're going to continue to do a found footage movie uh, and can retain those elements as the core of your movie, then you have to change, you have to change the gimmick. You have to change the, the setting. So, you know, I pitched... This will be like the millionth time I've said this now. But, you know, I pitched a jail or a prison because I've got cameras everywhere. And wouldn't it be an interesting thing to see, you know, inmates being haunted and how, and, and how uh, for the sake of the argument, how correctional deputies would deal with that uh, and where oh, that would lead yeah. them. So, you know, and it doesn't have to be something like that, but, I mean, you, you know, you have to come up with a creative way of doing it. Not, li- not literally another haunted house with literally another family and the same fucking demon. <laughs> you know, doing the same thing. That's a cover. Well, and, 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 except, and except now, we're having, we've stretched it so far that in Paranormal Activity 4, we're not even dealing with the same family anymore. Um, right. It's, you know, we're, we're no longer dealing with the, uh, with the, uh, with the Featherstone sisters. With uh, with Katie and Christy anymore. Well, we we got Katie obviously, but we we've got this bullshit plot that somehow she managed she for some reason escaped with Hunter, put him up for adoption. <laughs> yeah, we went into all this last night. Just, just point be, point being, for God's sakes, you know if you you know to the studios out there, if you're going to continue to make sequels because. You know, you're more likely going to make your money back on a franchise sequel than you were with an original concept. Take time and care to make sure your sequel lives up to the original or advances it. You know, why not elevate a concept? One of the things I'm looking Mm -hmm. forward to, and this will be the last thing I say on it, one of the things I'm looking forward to with with this new Star Wars movie is that I'm hoping what J.J. What Abrams has done is, is elevated the Star Wars franchise. Granted, mm-hmm. you know, elevating the mix that it's currently in isn't that hard, but you know, we, we've had this thing now since 1977. Let's, you know, what can you do with it that advances this thing forward, that really takes it into the 21st century? Where, where can we go with this? Because if you just give me rehash of A New Hope, I'm going to throw shit at the screen. Yeah, and but here's the thing, and, and this is and this has been the talk about that franchise all week long, and I know how excited everybody else sounds. Guess what, folks? I hope every single last one of you is wrong about this. 
All I am hearing from you is, ooh, is Luke going to turn to the dark side? Oh, God. No. No. <laughs> no. Oh, God, please don't do that. That is because I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to borrow a line from, again, another one of my favorite online online reviewers, Nash, when he was talking about how when they made the transition from the fifth doctor, um, um, Peter Davison, to the sixth doctor, Sylvester McCoy, the BBC's big overriding direction was they wanted the doctor to be darker and, and more serious. As Nash pointed out, when, when your tactic is make a good character dark, it's a sign that you have just about run out of ideas. <laughs> you cannot do that with one of cinema's all-time great, legendary, iconic heroes. He is the hero in the hero's journey that the whole damn original trilogy told. You can't have... There's no part in it where all of a sudden, for no goddamn reason, Luke goes sick. Right. There, there is no reason, no justification for that. That's why I am seriously, and I know J.J. is trying to be really secretive about this. J.J., tell me you didn't do that. Okay, I really quick, and then, you know really quick, and then I'm going to say this in 50 words or less, and then we're doing plugs. The last word on okay. this subject. Luke's not evil. The big secret is you're not seeing Luke to the very end of the movie. That's it. This is not Luke's movie. This is the goodbye letter to Han Solo. That's what this movie is. He'll be the one that's in it the most of the original characters. And he's going to get killed by his son, who is Kylo Ren. End of discussion. Sorry for spoiling it for everybody else. But that's what's happening in this movie. <laughs> that's where we are. I'm willing to bet. Not one of my children have been down that road before. But I'm willing to bet, you know, a, uh, a, I'm willing to bet uh, one silver dollar that Kylo Ren is Han Solo's kid, and he's gonna uh, what do you call it? He's gonna kill him at the end of the movie, and at, at, towards the end of the movie, and the, all of our hero, our new hero characters, Daisy Ridley, uh, John Boyega, they're not meeting Luke to the very end of the picture. Boom! Hit the John Williams score. Done. That's where we are. You backed off that I bet one of my children thing pretty damn quickly. Mark, did you Ric Flair one of your children to more than one creditor? <laughs> no, um, I said the phrase, I would bet my firstborn on a Casual Heroes podcast, and those fuckers have never let me forget it. Now, it turns out I, I was right about I, what I was doing. But I, I, was, I, I decided that's probably a bad idea. I, I was going to say... Toby and his MacBook and his Final Cut Pro would like to have a word with you. Plugs! <laughs> Sean, what do you got going <laughs> in the oven? <laughs> oh, boy. Well, it's a slow week. Um, I don't have any appearances on Source Material or, or everybody. Source Material or Material or um, I don't have any other podcast appearances this week because I am doing all of the worky things. Um, 
If you've enjoyed what you've heard tonight, I'm trying to branch out and get out on social media and chat with a lot of you a whole lot more often. If you would care to hit me up and you're not going to complain about the cosplay photos, um, you may feel free to join me on Facebook anytime you like. I have two accounts on which I'm currently at. Oh, yeah, I'll get to that in a second. Um, I have two accounts on which I'm currently active. Do not send a friend request to the one with the CM Punk logo. That is my very personal account. That is not for all of you. Uh, it will be rejected without another word. If you do want to chat with me, currently my avatar is a George Brett baseball card. Um, so join me there. We'll talk about Royals baseball, Coyotes hockey. Um, I post a lot of gaming news, weird news, lots of business-related related stuff. And yeah, a little question for everybody out there that does follow me, because uh, it's just now occurred to me. Some of you have messaged me privately uh, expressing some various feels about the fact that I I tend to daily post one or two pics as they have happened to post to some of my to two of my favorite cosplayers website, Facebook sites. Okay, I got a question for you. On a given daily basis, I post about a dozen different items, including web comics, weird science news. Today I posted about China doing away with the one child per family per family rule, which I thought was a huge deal. Tons of gaming news, lots of comic memes, lots of commentary, socially relevant stuff. And um for all your desire to needle me about liking a little eye, a little eye candy every now and then from some cosplayers who put a lot of thought and effort into their costumes, the only things you notice are the two or three posts that I put up that I put up per day just for something nice to look at. Okay, what are we commenting more on here? Your priorities or my taste? Please, by all means, think about that before you remark on that again. Although, in the meantime, uh, if you do want to see some of those pictures, uh, go check out the Facebook pages for Jessica Negree, who is a lovely, lovely Phoenix girl herself, and Alexandria the Red. Lovely people, lovely photos, uh, wonderful geekery. Uh, For some awesome comic-related art with kind of a retro tinge to it, go check out Des Taylor's Facebook page, uh, D-E-S-T-A-Y-L-O-R. Again, it has a very throwback sort of uh, late 50s, early 60s style to it in a lot of characters, including Gwen Stacy, Catwoman, Captain America, um, some Mary Jane Watson in there too. Enjoy all of that. By all means, as he mentioned before, go check out everywhere that you can find Benjamin J. Cologne and Soul Exodus online fine human being, gentleman and a scholar, terrific artist. Uh, get your requests in now for Sketchbook Saturday, and you never know when he puts pen to paper. It might very well be your creation that comes up. And otherwise, uh, go Royals, take the crown, two games to go. Uh, good luck to the Mets tomorrow night. I have a sneaking feeling you're going to need it. Go Coyotes on the rest of the season. You got off to a hot start, cooled off, but you're still showing signs of life. And in the meantime, never dull your colors for someone else's canvas. Mark? All right. Um, let me go over the schedule here real quick. Uh, Long Road to Ruin will be back next Thursday. Uh, normally we would, we would be going every other week, but uh, instead of 
being hardwired into that kind of a schedule. I'm trying to plan these shows so that they um, they move along with what's, what else we're doing on the network. So with that being said, uh, next week on Friday, I believe, yeah, next Friday, um, November 6th, uh, Spectre and the Peanuts movie actually come out. Uh, so in honor of Spectre, Long Road to Ruin will be looking at the Daniel Craig Bond movies, all three of them that have preceded Spectre, Casino Royale, uh, Quantum of Solace, and uh, Skyfall. So yep. we'll be looking at all three of those this Friday, uh, sorry, this Thursday, coming up, November 5th, and then the next and night, Spectre comes out, uh, release. And, of course, we'll also be joined by Andrew Graham himself, who is playing the home game tonight. Um, a review of Spectre will follow November 11th on Veterans Day, and then the next day, um, Metal Hammer of Doom will be back, and we'll be doing our only show of November, which is the Best of Limp Biscuit, a show I have been looking forward to all year. That's right. Yes, I enjoy torturing Robert Cooper. Um, Long Road to Ruin comes back after that on November 19th, uh, our last show of November. We'll be looking at the Chronicles of Riddick uh, trilogy. And then our final show of the year is December 3rd. We'll be doing the our, our, this year's holiday special is The Mighty Ducks. I don't know if it has anything to do with Christmas, but, you know, ice skating, winter, uh, it, it makes sense to me at the time. It has to, it has to do with show day after my birthday and fuck it, hockey movies. Sounds good to me. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that'll, that'll be our last Long Road to Ruin for the year. Uh, the Mighty Ducks trilogy will be back in January with The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Um, in the meantime, uh, check out reviews for uh, Gem and the Holograms and Paranormal Activity the Ghost Dimension. Uh, Robert Winfrey and Jason Teasley have a review for Crimson Peak. Um, Robert Cooper and I have reviewed Frost on Black the Wanderer. Um, you can all, and if you if you haven't had an opportunity to yet, uh, go ahead and listen to our first part of a Jaws of the Jaws series where we look at Jaws one and two. Uh, there's also reviews for Pan and The Martian, uh, and Hotel Transylvania two up in the archives. So that's about it. That's the calendar, past, present, and future. Uh, we will be back again next week with uh, with the Bond trilogy, as I said. We got a new outgoing theme. This is the theme song for every studio executive everywhere. Uh, they need money.